Now, now your ideas don't have to wait. Now they have everything they need to come to life. Dell Technologies and Intel are creating technology that loves ideas, loves expanding your business, evolving your passions. We push what technology can do so great ideas can happen right now. Find out how to bring your ideas to life at Dell.com. Welcome to now. This is the Athletic NBA Show, The Young Ones. We've got the Riz God, Tim Cato, joining in for a special episode because uh, Luka Doncic went absolutely insane the previous evening. Before we get to that, we got Will Gilry. I'm Jared Weiss. You'll probably say who I am. Law Murray's here. Jovan Buha's here. Tim, uh, you witnessed greatness. How great was it? It, it, was, it was quite great. I've witnessed a lot of greatness when it comes to Luka Doncic, and this was levels above Dude had 60-20-10. We're not talking about, is this Luka's best game ever? It is. We're talking about, is this the best game, at least regular season game, in NBA history? And there's a case to be made that it is. Obviously, I think you're going to end up putting 100-point games, you know, 81 from Kobe, stuff like that, a little bit above it. But we're talking top 5, top 10 performance ever. And I think the circumstances of how it happened that the Mavericks won that game in a situation where 13,000 teams had come before, you know, with a nine-point lead and 33 seconds remaining. All of them had lost. Um, They had a nine-point deficit, the Mavericks did. All of them had lost. And because Luka is Luka, and he's going to do something, you know, divine and holy, and whatever that was last night, the Mavericks win, and... It's just incredible, man. I'm still trying to process it all. Yeah, this is one of those things where people say, man, you couldn't even do this on 2K if you tried to. I literally think <laughs> this is one you couldn't do on 2K if you put the game on rookie. And I think you brought up the moment that when he misses the free throw uh, at the end of the regulation, gets his rebound. Do you think that'll go down as the most memorable moment from this game? What do you kind of look back on last night and say my most memorable moments from this game? I, I think the most memorable moment is, is Lucas saying that he needs a recovery beer. <laughs> on the court seconds afterwards i think it, this is going to be the recovery beer game like you've got the flu game you've got the flu recovery game well this is the beer recovery game but yeah i think you're right that the like don't understand like if if you I, I know everybody has probably seen everybody listening to this has probably seen luca's game tying shot go watch it again and this dude jumps off the floor so first off he executes the miss free throw perfectly and it comes off the rim in the right way, and it bounces around, ricochets, and he grabs it with one outstretched hand. He is already looking at the basket. He brings the ball into his other hand to gather, brings it down, brings it back up, shoots it from about 10 feet. So we're not talking a, a you know an easy putback. He's about 10 feet away, and he has the touch to put that shot in to tie the game. And he does this without like in one jump. He's still up in the air from his first jump of gathering the ball to when he shoots it to when it goes in and he's landing right there. It's an incredible, incredible shot that I think is just a summation of so many things and aspects of his game that makes him good, uh, I, I think, are represented in that moment. Law, I know we had a lot of great moments in this game, but where does his celebration when he thought he hit that game winner rank at the end of overtime? <laughs> The best damn thing he did. <laughs> best damn thing he did the entire night. I mean, I it, it looked like he was having a spasm. It looked like he wasn't going to be able to play overtime. Recovery beer was needed as soon as he tied the game. That should be legal. You should be every NBA player should be allowed to drink one beer between the end of regulation and overtime. Okay, yeah, especially Yovan. if you hit a shot like that, Yovan. If you had to take one shot of something to prepare yourself for overtime, what would it be? <laughs> You can't say cold brew. Uh, I was going to say, uh, <laughs> probably vodka. Why vodka? Because uh, it's most disgusting? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, th- I think it's my Eastern European roots that <laughs> vodka just, uh. yeah, that, that's my most tolerable alcohol. Well, you're, uh, more you're of, Serbian. More of a clear Do you have liquor. a recovery beer? Uh, I can have a recovery beer, yeah. But I, I think, 
I, I think I would want a shot of vodka. That's fair enough. So I, I don't I would... drink Fireball anymore, but I feel like Fireball <laughs> is the answer here. <laughs> I mean, that was Luca yeah. in, in the fourth quarter, right? With some Jaeger? No. Jaeger would actually make a lot of sense. Okay. Yeah, I did Jaeger once in my life, and that was the last time I plan on doing Jaeger in my life. So, <laughs> me as a teetotaler listening to all this, I, I had I had friends that they would like line their uh, kitchen cabinets in college with like empty Jaeger bottles. I would just get traumatized every sing- every every single time that I walked to that house. So I'm gonna say I'm gonna say one more thing about the celebration, and it's that I saw it described last night as cute. I saw somebody describe it as cute, and I think that. Like we love and we hype up players who are just ice cold and players who are just like stone cold, cold killers. And I think there is something to Luca. He's got the boyish face, you know, he's got the beard that clearly is a 23 year old's beard. Uh, you know, he says like goofy stuff, like dorky stuff. Like I got to get a recovery beer, uh, you know, in post-game interviews, this is a guy who, you know, it's not that he doesn't know how good he is. It's just that like, he's like, I don't know why I'm this good. Stop asking me. I'm just going to be me. And I think that's a really cool thing. That's when I wrote about it on the athletic, uh, you can read it now. Um, it's, uh, it's up there. And I, I really tried to focus on like, he did something great. Like we just saw greatness and I think we want to understand greatness, right? Like, I think that's a very human instinct. And Luca can't explain it any more than us. It's not some aspect of, you know, it's not his, you know, 99th percentile work ethic or, you know, it's not because he has the most unstoppable jumper. He just, you know, he's just like, I'm this good. And I, 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 I'm not going to have the words to explain it any better than me, uh, you know, than, than you or I. And so that's really what I, I came away, you know, from that game thinking that, you know, there there's there's nothing to do but just enjoy that Luka Doncic is this good at basketball and uh it's really fun to watch. Well we're in this weird spot in the NBA where like if you look at arguably the top 4 or 5 MVP candidates it's like you have Luka and Jokic who are these guys that look like they're out of shape, beefy as hell, they play at the slowest pace possible. They try to almost play slower than everybody else that everybody else just kind of runs past them and then they can just kind of shoot or pass or do whatever through anything as if no one's there then you guys guys like Giannis and Tatum who are these like absolute athletic specimens who seem to have infinite athleticism and stamina and length and it's I think what makes a guy like Luca so fascinating is because you can clearly understand why a guy like Giannis or Tatum would be better than everyone just because you can just see in their builds and they're so chiseled and they're so fast and Luca it's like him just him and Jokic they both make plays that every time they make the play you're like this is this is not going to work and, and, yeah, and I'm just will, yeah, good. I'm, I'm just glad you didn't throw Zion in the beefy out of shape guys category we've come a long way we've come a long way I mean he's both beefy and he's infinitely athletic it's it's a kind yeah. of, he's kind of a paradox he's the best of both worlds but I, well I mean well you, you've been watching Zion up close and I feel like Zion is making that MVP discussion push right now but after watching what Luca did, do you see like a gap between where Zion is and, and kind of like to be an MVP, it's like you have to control the game and read the game in a way. And like, do you still see that gap for Zion to close? Yeah, because I mean, people still forget that Zion still hasn't played that many games, right? It, it feels like he's so dominant that it feels like he, he's been doing this for a long time, but the guy's still under 150 career games. I, I mean, Luca has been dominant for years and years now, multiple playoff series. Uh, same thing for Giannis, Tatum, all of those guys. So Zion still has so much more room to grow, which makes his dominance up to this point even more crazier. Uh, but yeah, I think that's the next step for Z is kind of, understanding the game and being able to control every single nuance the way Luca does. But I mean, nobody does it quite like Luca. And I think that's what's so interesting about Tim's coverage of the Mavs is because like we see this guy is on the path to becoming one of the greatest players ever. And you're trying to capture that through every one of these, you know, historic moments he has. And, you know, I'm starting to get there with Zion, but I think 
Tim, that's such an interesting thing for you having a front seat for this guy where he's right at the takeoff, right, of, of where he's headed and we see where he's going. I mean, what's that like for you sitting there in that arena every game and seeing, you know, him putting this resume together to become one of the best players to ever do it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I try not to take it for granted, uh, but I did last night. I left my seat. I thought the game was over. I, I, I watched the, you know, shot he made from a TV in the hallways uh, outside the press conference room because I was like, oh, yeah, this is over. Because, again, 14,000 times this exact <laughs> game has happened and it was over. So, like, I was playing the odds and I thought I thought we were safe. And uh, then yet he goes out and, and does this. And so what's what's crazy is just, um, you know, he's been doing this for so long. Um, you know, we we asked him last night, uh, and I'm going to actually write about this later this week, but we asked him last night if he had ever had, if Luca had ever had a 60-point game before. And he said he hadn't. Like, he, he couldn't, re- you know, not even at youth tournaments, uh, you know, not throughout his European career. And you think about it a little bit, and, and it makes sense because, first off, you know, FIBA rules, like they play shorter games over there, uh, stuff like that. Um, he's never been a player who is playing above his talent like he's always been the eight-year-old trying to play in the u12 teams and the 16-year-old playing in the second best um you know playing for the the best non-nba team you know in the world for real madrid and he's always been upping his game in a way that he's just continued doing at the nba level so it's not like he was ever 17 you know, scoring for fun against other 17-year-olds. At 17, he was, you know, playing against ex-NBA players who were 29 years old, you know, who had been in NBA uh, weight rooms and locker rooms and, you know, had grown man strength. And for him to just carry over exactly, you know, kind of the ascendancy that he had throughout his his uh, teenage years just directly to the NBA and and now what he's doing in his fifth season where, you know, I think after this, you know, it almost feels... uh you know, small to talk about MVP narratives and stuff like that, you know, because of just how ridiculous that game was. But, you know, I have to think that he's going to be vaulting to the top of those uh, just because of the the stakes of this game and the way he did it. Um, but it's just it's just incredible, man. And it's 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 something I really try to appreciate being able to watch it so closely. So, I mean, all of us are covering I guess either an MVP candidate or someone who was the best or an MVP candidate or the best player in the league at one point. Um, and they're all at different stages. So I guess Law and Yovans go to you two guys. You know, this like Cato's story and this whole moment was about understanding greatness. And so Law, you cover Kawhi. You also cover Luke Kennard. You understand greatness at a certain perspective. Yovan, you have LeBron, AD. You have Austin Reeves. Like you guys have seen greatness at different levels. Law, do you have an understanding of like as being around Kawhi, covering Kawhi? I presume talking to Kawhi at some point, has that helped you understand like what greatness looks like in one of its various forms? It definitely does. And it is from the total opposite perspective of what Tim Cato gets to see. I don't, I'm never going to see anybody score 60 on this damn team. Like ever. Um, I mean, shoot. I think the Clippers have maybe one 40 point game uh, from a, from a guy this year. When you look at Kawhi, I mean, it, it took Kawhi until I saw you in L.A., Jared, for him to even score uh, 20 in a game, okay? Like, and that was December 12th. So it took Kawhi two months into the season just to just do that. You know, the weekend after that Celtics game, he scores his first 30-point game. And Kawhi is completely unbothered by that because Kawhi's greatness is not in what is produced from a from a point standpoint. He's about playing the game the right way and raising the IQ of everybody on the floor with him. That's why his plus minus, Kawhi's plus minus, is crazy right now in only 14 games. I mean, the Clippers outscored teams about eight points per game when he's on the floor. And that's just a matter of he's just going to make the right play every time. And that's his dedication to greatness is he's basically the next coming of Tim Duncan in, in his form. Like he's so unimpressed with what he's able to do. He is so concerned about doing everything the right way. Even if that means he's not shooting it, he's just going to move it and not be involved in the final play, the hockey assist. That's, that's what I'm seeing 
Um, and again, it's completely different than what Tim gets to see, but a similar level of appreciation nonetheless. I, th- I think as we're talking about this, it, it's, it's kind of dawning on me that we, we each have guys at, at different points in, in terms of like, you know, Luca's still on the rise, even though obviously he's already you know, he, he's already there, but like he, he's going to get even better. And and I think that that's kind of the, the, the specialness, uh, the, the greatness with, with him. Kawhi, I, I guess, is still kind of in his prime. I, I mean, probably back end of his prime, but but still, I think, firmly in, in his prime is. He's getting his legs back under him. Uh, and with LeBron, it's like he's fighting father time and he's doing things that are just unprecedented. And uh, I recently wrote this after the Christmas game, but like he's in year 20, averaging over 36 minutes a game. Some other notable players in year 20, uh, Kobe, 28 minutes a game. That's an eight minute difference. That's a huge difference. Uh, Kareem, 22 minutes a game. Vince Carter, 17 minutes a game. Like, and and really, the, there aren't many guys who actually played twenty years uh, in the NBA. So, but like just like LeBron's workload, and, and for him to be putting up twenty six, eight, and six in year twenty is just uh, it's just something we've never seen before. Uh, at, at the same time, he's kind of in a different position than the, the Mavericks and the Clippers, where the Lakers are six games under five hundred, and this is kind of another wasted season for LeBron. Uh, you know, back to back kind of duds where this team might win, you know, 30 something games. And it's just like, it, it's kind of sad to see. And I, I think, you know, just objectively as an NBA fan and NBA historian, like seeing what, what who I think is either the second or, or best player of all time kind of go out like this. It's, it's just, you know, you, you kind of wish it was under different circumstances. And I'm not going to play the blame game because that's, that was kind of the reaction to the piece was like, whose fault is it that LeBron is going out this way? Is it LeBron's fault? Is it the, the front right. office ownership Like you know, Russell Westbrook, like everyone's pointing the finger. But for me, it was more just, I, you know, we all love basketball. Obviously, that, that's why we're all doing this. And it's just it kind of sucks to see him go out in the way that he's going out right now. But it, it's also a testament to him that he, he's still this great. And we're still having this conversation of like, you know, he, he's not an MVP candidate by any means, but he's still in that top. 10 I think for sure and uh it's just it's crazy that he, he's about to be 38 in two days and what we're still having this discussion and I think that's the next step in this greatness conversation because we know in the NBA these great players are more powerful than they are probably in any other league and I think the Lakers and Clippers are two examples of where the star plower the star players just grab so much power and I think the Mavs and the Pelicans are in very similar shoes where they're looking at those situations and saying do we want to give our stars that much power over our franchise? Because are we going to end up where those teams are? And I think the Clippers are probably in a slightly better situation than the Lakers. But I think that's the next step, especially with a guy like Luca, who was really reaching the the highest height of his greatness, uh, maybe pr- pr- much more than a guy like Zion, where it's like, okay, this guy is this great. And of course he should have some voice in the, in the franchise, but how much of a voice should we give them and how much is that going to hurt us in the future or help us because you get to keep this guy around. And as long as he's around, you're going to be great. But at what point does, does that kind of, you know, have diminishing returns? And to me, that's, that's the, the cool thing about basketball is that it is uniquely set up. It is the, you know, out of all the most popular team sports, it's got the smallest number of players and it's the one where one player, you know, outside of, I guess, quarterback in, in NFL where one player can make such a oversized impact on what actually happens and what we see. And it just allows greatness to be defined and to be visible in a way that I think uh, is has a uniqueness to the sport of basketball. And, and to me, at least, it's why I you know, have gravitated towards this sport over all others. And it's why the, it's the one I've chosen to, to work in and to cover and to ultimately spend the most time thinking about and talking about and, and watching. I think that's that's my concern uh, when I do see Luca put up 60 and, and, and 20 rebounds and 10 dimes to save, to save the Mavericks from a shorthanded Knicks team. You know, uh, what we were talking about last year with Zion and Will, I, I told you this, like this time last year, Zion wasn't playing and the Pelicans were just trying to dig out a last place in the entire Western Conference, right? Um, 
Zion, Luca, even Nikola Jokic to a, to a, to a point, they are in the prime of their careers, right? The nut graph of their careers, if you want to call it that. And that's the privilege that they have because they ain't a whole lot else to do, damn it. Like, ball out while you can, while you have that perfect mix of experience and physical talent, right? But then you look at Luca, and it's like, man, Jalen Brunson, should, should, you know, was on this team last year and they went to the Western Conference Finals. Are they like, what's it going to take for that team to even match that? Are they even going to avoid the play and stuff like that? I mean, Zion's team is in a great shape because of the, the roster construction, right? Luca doesn't have that privilege. Like, where are the assets? Where's the improvement coming from? Where are the guys? Like, does Luca have to do this just for them to tread water, right? And that's where it's like, Luca's MVP discussion is the Russell Westbrook. MVP discussion from 2017. Russ was doing some crazy things that we had never seen before. And we were like, oh my God, he's goaded forever. And in one stance, he's right. But damn it, how many playoff series has Russell Westbrook won since KD left Oklahoma City? And Luca and his, and, and where he's at right now with his teammates, with the fact that no lottery picks before him are still there. And damn it, Luca was too good for them to have lottery picks now, you know, or after he got there. What's next? How does this get better? And I'm not saying, you know, like this isn't a ring chase discussion or anything like that. You know, I'm not I'm not bringing that up. I'm just bringing up the fact that, man, Lucas got to be great just to just for the Mavericks to have a chance. And what what is that chance really looking like right now? I know we're talking regular season, but my, my one pushback on that is already, I think, from from Luca, we've seen a level of greatness in the playoffs that we never really saw from Russ or, or we more saw from Russ as, as kind of a sidekick. Like, I think that, that that's been, uh, I, I think for, yeah, I, and again, I'm so kind of in, in the Russ situation because of the Lakers stuff, but like, I think really the, the one knock on Russ, like to take out the Lakers situation, I think it's just been his playoff performances. Right. And like, it just, you go year by year, his numbers drop in the playoffs basically every year. And, and it's, it's efficiency. It's just overall production. And like, I covered Luca in the bubble, you know, was not at the bubble, but covered that series against the Clippers. I know you've seen Luca firsthand. Tim has obviously like in the playoffs, playoff Luca is even better. Like it's, it's, it's insane. Like he won toe to toe twice with, with Kawhi and PG and they really didn't have an answer for him other than just the Clippers being the better, more complete, uh, you know, team. And so I, for me, like, I, I guess, I know MVP's regular season, and we are like I think there is some kind of correlation uh, with him and, and and Russ in that sense, but like I guess the way I kind of view it, you know, differently in in that is that I think Russ, there's a little bit more of an empty calorie uh, kind of essence to that, whereas with Luca, I think that there's something more because I think we've already seen that that as a young guy, really other than maybe young LeBron, young Magic young bird young jordan like there aren't many guys that have played to that level this early into the, uh, their career yeah and, and to better. your point i was going to just say real quick just to your point Yovan, like uh the playoff performances and everything i'm lucas lucas stamped there i'm talking about the team around him that's that's the only part that i'm saying like the team around him who's gonna who who is going to help and, and compliment him yeah, and that was the point I was going to make. I think the better comparison is probably LeBron in Cleveland 1.0, right? Where we see this guy as like transcendent, great, and like he's able to carry this team to heights that they shouldn't get to when you look at the other four guys in the starting lineup. But at what point does that star guy say, hey, like, I need another guy to help me out so we can get to the next level. Cause at some point where Luca's going to put up all these great numbers, he's going to continue to be great in the playoffs. We know that, but we know how conversations go in the NBA. If you don't have that ultimate prize behind your name, if you don't make it to the finals, if you don't get that ring, then people are going to start doubting you. People are going to start questioning your greatness and guys get tired of that after a while. And I think Luca's at the point now where he's still enjoying it. They had the conference finals run last year. So that's bought them some time. But I do think at a certain point, that pressure is going to grow as his greatness continues to grow. And what's the path to get Luca to that point where he can eliminate those conversations about can he win at the highest level? 
Kato, what what do you think? Let's just wrap this Luca discussion here. What do you think Luca wants, and like what motivates him? What does he respond to? I was. It seems like he's a pretty winning focused person at this point. Doesn't seem like he wants anything besides his recovery beer and his W. Yeah, yeah recovery beer, dude. Um, you know, just like make sure that you you got a you know a full fridge and <laughs> you, know, you got some lagers, you got some IPAs. You got to mix it up a little bit. And yeah, dude, it's Luca wants to have fun. I think if I were to really boil it down and now having fun, there's a lot included in that and it definitely includes winning. And I don't know how much it includes having the basketball at all times. Uh, I, I don't, I, I think that, you know, you bring in the right pieces, you have the, the right co-star next to him and it would be really easy for him to play a more democratic version of basketball uh, and still be great and still have this greatness that we see, you know, just maybe not in 60 point, you know, performances uh, all the time, uh, you know, but I, I think that's what Luca wants. And I think that to me really defines why he is such a fascinating, why I'm so drawn to covering him in the way he is, is just this idea that, you know, he's just a guy who's always done this and he's always done this because he's always had more fun doing this than anything else he could be doing. And if that's not, you know, kind of the ethos and the through line of sports and why we care about them and why they matter and why, you know, we keep trying to understand them, then, you know, what is? And so, you know, every player who has greatness represents sports in their own manner and to me that's the way luca does it and that's what makes him special we're, we're lucky to have such an ethereal enigmatic thinker like tim cato covering such an ethereal enigmatic point guard like luca Doncic. we are lucky at the athletic make sure you read a story it, it's great it's weird as hell it's very much luca-esque and you're gonna need a recovery beer after reading it uh all right when we come back uh the one and only Andrew Schlecht, our producer for the show, he's going to catch up with the Riz God himself, Shams Charania. You are listening to The Young Ones on The Athletic NBA Show. Welcome to The Inside Pass with Shams Charania, presented by American Express. I'm your host, Andrew Schlecht. Shams, let's first start in Indiana. We've heard a lot of rumors about Miles Turner trades in the past, but what are you hearing about the possibility about a contract extension with the Pacers? What's developed really in the last few weeks is that the Pacers and Miles Turner have opened up contract extension talks. They're exploring a pathway to a potential new deal. And I, I do think there is a level of um, uh, you know, motivation on both sides to try to get a deal done. This is a guy in Miles Turner who, like, like you said, he's been in the willy or won't be traded for the last several years of his career and, and um, uh, his Pacers tenure. And I think now he's playing his best basketball, playing well with Tyrese Halliburton. And the Pacers have the unique ability. They have $25 million in cap space. They can give him about $19.1 million on top of his current salary. That puts him at about $37 million for just this season alone. Hmm. Um, and then have a drop off from there in a new extension. So we'll see if they can reach an agreement on a new deal. But that's what uh, they're working toward and seeing if there's a pathway. I think the Pacers still keep an open mind if someone blows them away in a trade. But right now, uh, they are talking on an extension. Let's move on to the Kings, where their all-star center, Damanis Sabonis, who's been a huge reason for the success this season, has suffered a right-hand injury. Shams, what are you hearing about his potential timetable for return? So it's an avulsion fracture of, of a ligament in his thumb. And from what I'm told, it's, it sounds like basically the ligament uh, fractured off of the bone in his hand by his thumb. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is an injury that you, you, some players get surgery, some players can try to play through it. He, for right now, is trying to play through it. He listed questionable tonight against Denver, and I think the goal right now, if he misses tonight, if he misses a few games, is to get himself in a position where he can play through this and, and, and get on the court and, and stay on the court and try to not have surgery. The Red Hot 76ers, who've won eight in a row, are on the verge of getting their young electric guard Tyrese Maxey back. Shams, what are you hearing about Maxey's return to the lineup? Maxey will be back in the Sixers lineup this weekend, most likely on Friday. Uh, if not, it'll be Saturday against Oklahoma City. They have a back-to-back -back in New Orleans on Friday, in OKC on Saturday. And this is a major return. This is a guy we haven't seen on the court since November 18th when he had that fracture in his foot. Um, he's missed a little bit more time than I think initially expected, but now he is on the cusp of a return, and it's at a time where 
The Sixers are playing their best basketball of the season, eight and one in their last nine games, uh, eight game winning streak. And so they're going to reintegrate him back. He could come off the bench to start, but definitely will be on a minutes restriction, at least initially upon his return. Are there any thoughts to him being in that six man role or do you expect him to be a starter once everything gets rolling? Well, if, if they try to see how he looks coming off the bench, you never know how that how that plays out. Could he just could this team continue to click better? You know, with the Anthony Melton starting right now with James Harden, that keeps the ball in Harden's hands and Embiid's hands. Um, and then Tyrese Maxey could theoretically lead a second unit. Um, but I know the weight, I mean, he's averaging 23 points per game this year, over 40% three-point shooting. This is a guy that the Sixers really, really believe is going to be a star player. So we'll see where the, where the roles shake out. Always go read Sham Sharania and his inside pass at theathletic.com. And thanks so much for listening to the inside pass with Sham Sharania presented by American Express. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Discover the latest collections from David Yerman, as seen recently, styled on basketball stars like Jaime Jaquez, Jalen Green, D'Angelo Russell, and others. David Yerman is a celebrated American jewelry company inspired by the beauty of art, architecture, and the natural world. The story of David Yerman begins in New York City, with David, a sculptor, and his wife Sybil, a painter and ceramicist. When the artists began collaborating, their goal was to simply make beautiful designed objects to wear. Over 40 years later, the Yermans and their son Evan continue to redefine American luxury jewelry with timeless modern collections for women and men defined by inspiration, innovation, consummate craftsmanship, and Cable, the brand's artistic signature. David Yerman's collections are available on davidyerman.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Giorgio Armani Aqua Di Gio Parfum, a long-lasting and deeply intense men's fragrance that captures the powerful sensations of nature. The woody aquatic scent features notes of bergamot, clary sage, and patchouli, which create an intensity that is vibrant and aromic. Discover more at GiorgioArmaniBeauty.com. All right, that was Shams and Schlecht. We are back here. Let's wrap up Young Ones talking about Will's team because the Pels are endlessly fun. They are, as of Wednesday, a game back of the Nuggets. Uh, just give me a breakdown of the state of affairs of the Pels right now, Will. It's really insane because this this season, in some ways, has been very similar to Pelican seasons I've covered in the past where they came in with heavy expectations and then injuries came through and just completely changed the lineups we expected to see. And in the past, that usually, lose, that usually results in a lot of losses for the Pels. But this season, they've had their projected starting lineup for 10 games total. And they're still number two in the West somehow. Uh, the the la- they won the last three games, I believe, and without Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson, uh, Bi has missed like a month now with this toe injury, and it's not even a factor. Uh, they've been playing their best basketball of the season without him. It, it's insane. I think this team has it, it has a real argument for the deepest roster in the NBA. 
and it's wild because we came into the year thinking, man, Zion Williamson, B.I., C.J., they've got such a high power top three. And the reason they're sitting at number two in the West right now is because of everybody else on the roster, how much they've carried this team. And it's a, I think David Griffin deserves a ton of credit for what he's done to build out this roster to find guys like Najee Marshall, Jose Alvarado, uh, Herb Jones, all of these dudes who we had no idea who they were before they came into the league. And now they're making a huge impact on this squad. And uh, it's going to be crazy to see once they're fully healthy, how many of these guys are going to continue to play because it's going to be hard to take some of them out of the rotation. Law, I mean, you, the Clippers and the Pelicans are kind of neck and neck here. They're both really deep squads, a little bit different. They're set up a pretty similar. I mean, you've seen this, you've seen this Clippers team kind of hit that ceiling over and over and over again, but obviously health is a big part of it. What like what do you see in this Pelicans team that makes you optimistic that they could break through that? Man, I saw the Pelicans and the Clippers in April. Okay. And I mean, the two times I went to New Orleans last season and and, and got to see my guy Will, I mean, both of those <laughs> games were before the Pelicans even made the trade with Portland. And I just saw New Orleans and their physicality, again, this was without Zion, just beat the hell out of the Clippers. And so what it reminds me of is the Memphis Grizzlies, the year before, they got in the plan, they were the ninth seed, they eliminated the Golden State Warriors to make the playoffs. The Pelicans did the same thing this past year. Now you saw the Grizzlies jump from a playing team to number two in the West last year and a damn good number two. The Pelicans are doing this exact same thing a year later. And to Will's point, they're deep. They have the, they have the health questions. So it's like, you want to know exactly how good the connection between Brandon and Zion is going to be. Obviously CJ is another part to that, but I just admire Willie Green. They, they're, they're, they're well coached and they're together. It's not just what they do to beat you. And we're talking about the, one of the most well-rounded teams in the entire league, certainly the West, as far as what they do on both ends of the floor. It's the fact that they give a damn about each other. It's the fact that they are going to still play hard like they haven't, you know, like they still have something to accomplish. And, and that's what makes the team scary. You know, it's one thing to be good and talented and have so many good players and to be, you know, smart and prepared. But that's another thing to actually give a damn and to just have that X factor of, of, of caring. And I think that's what makes New Orleans scarier than anything else. So what makes the Pelicans so fascinating is I feel like maybe two years ago, we were looking at them as like a lot of high potential guys that are in the early early part of the development pipeline. And now, like you were talking about with even Marshall starting to become like an important part of this rotation, they're so deep with good young role players and guys that you don't, I don't really see them becoming feature part of the offense or whatever, but they are rounding their games out. You know, Trey Murphy is rounding his game out. Um, you know, obviously Alvarado is just like one of the revelations of the NBA this year, even though he was last year. It's like this year, it's another huge leap forward. I mean, Will, how much has their player development almost like surprised you? And what's, is is there more room for them to grow? Or is this just one of those things of like, they're actually better than we realized they were now that they're in a good cohesive team? No, there's no doubt those guys can get better because like I said before, Zion's still in the beginning stages of his greatness, right? He's still learning how to be great. So he's got more levels to go. Uh, and like Law said, they still got work to do to, to find out the, the chemistry between Z and B.I. Uh, but the crazy thing you said, it's been a revelation this year, but it started with last year. And, you know, last year when they were going through that rough slide where they were 3-16 and 16 to start the year and we had no idea what was going on with Zion and it looked like like everything was about to implode. I remember going to games two, three hours before tip and watching Jose Alvarado, Najee Marshall, Trey Murphy, Jackson Hayes, all these guys playing in pickup games and seeing the work they were doing and seeing uh, just how much energy they brought to the floor when it was a completely empty arena. It was just them and the assistant coaches. And you saw uh, kind of this, this thing they were building. And I was like, man, is this just – into their bench guys that you, you see all the time doing great things is, is like we're all used to being covering the NBA. You watch like a James Jones on the end of the bench and it's like that guy can't play. And then you watch him in warmups and he makes 23s in a row. Or is it like these guys are actually good? And I think you saw after a while 
once those guys got an opportunity that they were actually good. And you see with Jose Alvarado, he's not just the the guy who hides in the corner and gets steals. He he's going 38 in the game this year. You know, Trey Murphy is more than just the guy who can get hot against the Clippers in the playing game and hit some threes. <laughs> he's expanded his game and you can go down the line. Najee Marshall has expanded his game. And I think you get you that that player development, you go Corey Brewer, Teresa Rutherspoon. I can name a bunch of names who people don't know, but I think they've done an incredible job building up these guys and I think a huge thing is just the chemistry they have in the locker room it's unlike anything I've been around uh, we've all been in NBA locker rooms and you're used to seeing the click over here a click over there the international guys over in the corner doing their thing it's not like that in the Pelicans locker room all of those guys rock with each other they all are like best friends. They love each other every single day, every single shoot around. It seems like the first day of school and I don't understand it, how they can keep the energy going, uh, but they've maintained it. And it's, that's why I think they feel so confident in these games when Zion doesn't play, when BI doesn't play. Cause they're like, all of these guys are talented and we're all playing for each other. So we feel like we're going to be able to get a win regardless of who we're playing or who's suiting up on, on this side. And uh, you got to give a ton of credit to Willie Green just for what he's done to build up the chemistry and the, the belief in that locker room. Cause I was around in 2020 when Stan Van Gundy was the coach and that didn't exist whatsoever <laughs> within that locker room. Those guys didn't like coming to work. They didn't like being around each other. They didn't know how they were going to win from night to night. And it's completely turned in a year and a half, basically. And it's been wild to see. All right, let's go from one team that seems to win no matter who they have in the lineup to a team that can't win, even though they have everybody pretty much half the time. So right now, I know AD is out, but the Lakers, they've had their chances this year to prove that they could be a better team. And looking at them now, Yovan, they are two and a half games behind Golden State as of Wednesday. Portland, Utah, Sacramento, none, none of these teams are falling off. So where, like, how do Lakers fans feel right now? Are, are they angry? I can't imagine they'd be angry. Are they angry right now? I, I will direct you to the comment section on, on my last story <laughs> if, you, if you want to know how Lakers fans are feeling right now. Uh, it's interesting because the, the fan base is so, like, all over the place. Like I, I don't think I think you could interview ten different Laker fans and you would get ten conflicting, totally different uh perspectives on what's going on with this team right now and, and again whose fault it is and what's the best solution. Uh the the biggest thing all season ha- has been are they gonna make a trade? And I, I think entering the season, it was clearly an imbalanced roster. It's a very guard heavy team. They don't have a lot of playable guys who are over 6'5". And I think the the implication and, and kind of based on, uh, you know, my reporting, other people's reporting, like they were going to trade Russell Westbrook before the season. And that, you know, they ultimately pivoted and, and decided not to do that. Then it became November uh, Thanksgiving, then December 15th. And now it's, it's getting pushed back probably closer to the trade deadline. And, you know, I, I think right now there's also a chance they just don't make a move at all and um but it's just been really weird to watch because they just have a roster that you know again doesn't really make sense it feels like you're watching cookie dough out there and you know that you know it's got to be baked and it's got to turn into an actual cookie uh but like this is kind of like they play a lot of lineups where there's literally like three guys six two and below on the court and it, it's just like it, it's almost the the anti-modern NBA and then there's also no shooting out there as well so I think for them that that's kind of been the thing uh recently I mean AD was playing at Lakers record wasn't good enough but he was playing as, as arguably the best player in the league you know top three player at, at that time before he went out uh he, he had that uh, you know six or seven straight games with, with 30 and 15 he was just dominating people in the paint LeBron uh, over the past couple weeks uh, he, he just had seven consecutive games with 30 plus uh, he, he's looking like himself again so it, it's just this weird situation where you have two guys who at their peak when when healthy are probably both top 10 guys and this team's not even in the playing tournament right now uh, so it, it's you know the, the supporting cast is is one of the worst in, in the league uh, I know we joke about it but aside from Austin Reeves who's probably been their third best player this season you got Lonnie Walker you, you got bench Russ and Everyone else has, has been inconsistent at best. So uh, I think for the Lakers, it, it really comes down to are they willing to give up a, a pick or two? Because that's what it's going to take to take on 
you know, uh, Pat Beverly or, or Kendrick Nunn or, or Russ. And is it even worth it? Is it even like, is this season even salvageable? If, if you go trade for Boyan Bogdanovich, like, th- does that get you in the playing tournament at this point? With, with we still don't even know, you know, how long AD is going to be out uh, officially yet. So I think that there's been more questions than, than answers with this team all season. And it feels like something that's really going to come up to the, the trade deadline, whether they, they make a move or not. And again, even if if it's even worth making a move uh, at that point, you know, where they are in the playing mix. It's yeah, funny. I, my bad, Jared. And uh, I'm glad you brought up AD because I feel like that might be the most interesting thing going on with this team because his injury is so mysterious right now. And we really don't know what's going on. What what exactly is the injury? How long is he going to be out? And we talked about this the last time we did the pod, how much pressure they put on him to play through some of these injuries and how much pressure he puts on himself to fight that street clothes narrative. And just what's your feel right now about what's going on with that? How dangerous is it going to be to bring him back a big guy with a foot injury that always kind of raises my antennas and how is that going to impact th- beyond just this season their future because he is their future even though LeBron's still great we know their their, their future is dependent upon AD uh, so just what are you hearing as far as just what's going on with AD yeah well it, it sounded like he was going to be out at least a few weeks uh, I know he's going to be reevaluated coming up uh, w- within the next week or so uh, but but Shams reported, you know, a stress reaction injury in his foot. So um, I think the it's at least not broken, which are obviously be, be worse and uh, have him out for a while. But I think the Lakers really got to be careful here because with AD, we, we've seen he has these random, you know, lower extremity injuries that, that just kind of happen on, on freak plays. And he is the, the future of this franchise for at least the next few years. So. I think it's it's been a nice bounce back season for him. This is the best, definitely the best he's played in LA, but but arguably the best he's played in his career. I mean, maybe that there was a better season in New Orleans, but but he he's up there. You know, it, it's pretty close. So like, I think you've at least got him in the right headspace and and kind of figured things out on how to maximize him. Now it's just keeping him healthy and really, I think building the roster around him moving forward, which I think that they've primarily built around LeBron more so than AD and it's kind of been let's fit AD in here but I think you really saw a passing of the torch this season and LeBron kind of alluded to it a couple times and uh, I think a lot of times LeBron had had mentioned it but you hadn't really seen it on the court and you finally saw that these last few weeks before the injury where the pecking order shifted and really for I think for the first time in LeBron's career because even that Miami year like technically it, it was still D Wade's team, but like Le- LeBron was still LeBron, and, and you know up until the finals, and uh, I, I think this was the first time in LeBron's career he's really been the number two, and that was a shift on on his part. That that was a shift for AD, and, and really just a shift for the organization where Darvin Ham was openly talking about AD is our best player, and and uh, you know you just don't hear that on a LeBron team. So uh, I, I think. The, the organization has gone through a change this season as well, kind of w- with that dynamic. But, um, you know, moving forward, I, I think they, they really got to be careful with AD because, uh, again, you're six games under 500. Like right now, you're not even in the playing tournament. Is it worth bringing him back and potentially him suffering a, a setback, a, a serious setback that could cost him the rest of the season, could cost him into next season? I mean, th- there's still the possibility of surgery at some point. So I think for, for them that they, they got to, it's a weird thing where they, they got to have patience, but they, they obviously don't have the time for patience and, and they're in a bit of a hole right now. Uh, but I, I don't, you know, it might be a situation where you just have to take the L on this season uh, and then kind of regroup next year. Is there like concern that AD is old enough at this point that like if he gets hurt and misses a season, you're, you might miss his prime? Yeah. Yeah, I mean he he's he, he's going to be uh, thirty in March, so he he's right there age wise. Um, I I think and and that's kind of the thing is like I, I think they they got to be really careful with this, where you, you just don't make it something that because with eighty it's it's stuff's kind of lingered with, with his knees and uh you know with, with his feet like he's had several of these injuries over the last few years. I, I feel like they've kind of compounded and and kind of led to. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you guys saw the play, but like it was a freak thing where he, he jumps up, he's in the air, his foot gets caught 
on Nikola Jokic's calf. And that is what causes this injury. Like it, you rarely see an in-air injury like that. It, it's usually the landing that's a guy. Le- gets leave it to so, AD to pull that off. <laughs> I was yeah, going to say AD finds a way to get a weird injury, man. He leads the league in them. But the, the, the crazy thing is, you know, to in a macro level, like we were just talking about the Pelicans and how bright their future is. They might be getting a top five pick from the Lakers because of this whole situation. Like that, that's insane. A- adding, I mean, imagine adding Wemby to the Pelicans roster. Like, and I, I know people have been joking about that all season, but like, we're almost at the halfway point of the season, and that's a real possibility. No doubt. And people around this team are constantly having that conversation about the Lakers pick. They talk about that more than their own team. What's the protection on it again? Because they're at seven right now. It, right? It, no, it, it, it's a swap. No protection. No protection. Yeah, it's a swap. No, swap. No, I'm sorry. Okay. Next year is no protection. This year is a swap. That's right. So, uh, wow. Um, and what's funny is the Pelicans don't need a, a Wemby or Scoot. I mean, Scoot would be great, obviously, but just any top 10 level talent adding to what they have already. It's it's insane. They're going to be in a similar situation like where Boston is right now, where they have so much talent, their payroll's already so inflated that they're making tough decisions on some of these guys just because they don't want to pay a billion dollars in tax. And I don't know what New Orleans' appetite is for that level of tax. We already know what the Lakers and the Clippers are. New Orleans is kind of that big one in the NBA where you're, you're going to find out like how how uh, how deep are they willing to dive. I got a quick question for you guys. Uh, as, and this is kind of as, as objective outside parties. Would you make a trade if you were the Lakers? Like, do you think this season is worth trying to save uh, and having like, let, let's say, let's say an optimistic scenario. 80s back within the next few weeks, Lakers can kind of tread water, stay a few games under 500. And they're a couple games out of the plan. And it's, Let's say it's late January. Do you throw a pick or two uh, on the table to upgrade the roster with a small move or maybe a big move? Uh, or, or do you just say, you know, if we make the plan, we make the plan, but we're, we're not going to mess up our, our future you know, draft capital to f- try to fix what's clearly a team that's at best going to like make the playoffs but probably lose in the first round? They need to bite the bullet, man, and just <laughs> suck it up and get through this season. Because like you said, like if the fact that we're talking about Anthony Davis as anyone's future when he's turning 30 in March uh, and a year 11, 30 at that, I don't I don't I don't think that's 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 good business. Um, if, if you're the Lakers, man, just get through the season. Russ's money comes off the books. You keep your first round picks and, you know, uh, you give Rob Palenka yet another chance to create some kind of sensible roster. I mean, he did it once, uh, once out of what, four times. So that's, that's, that's really the move right there. Yeah. I think anytime you ask, should they make a trade? I think the obvious reaction as well, trade for who What's the trade. Right. And I think as of right now, it looks like miles Turner is looking like more likely he's going to resign in Indy than get traded to LA. So that's one guy off the, the list. Uh, DeRozan's been hanging around there. I don't know if DeRozan really moves the needle for you that much. If you're the Lakers as great as he is, uh, I just, I'm with law. I feel like you got to just bite the bullet on this season and, and just regroup uh, in the summer and see if you can get somebody else. Uh, to, uh, you know, maybe you can have less drama in your organization and bring Kyrie around, right? That'll calm everything down. That'll less headlines for Yovan. So that'll be great. I mean, can they even afford Kyrie at this point? Look at what the Nets are doing. I think that his value probably is too high now, unless they're going to give two to three picks, which they clearly weren't going to do. And Miles Turner, I, I don't know about likelihood of extension, but he's looking for a pretty sizable contract after seeing what some of these guys got in free agency. So the Lakers, are they going to pay that? I can't imagine that they're going to give them that deal. They're going to, are they going to give them 130 million with their tax situation? Although, I mean, how bad is their tax situation in the future? I mean, Jovan's shaking his head. It seems, it seems like that would be prohibitive. I mean, they're, they're projected to have about 30 ish million in cap space this off season. So, um, for, from my understanding, if, if they do trade for miles, it would be with the, the expectation that they are going to come to, uh, some sort of extension, like, mm-hmm. the, like they, they would only acquire him if they were going to extend him. Like they wouldn't want it to be a, a half season rental. It would have to be yeah. a long-term thing where those terms would, would have to be, uh, you know, it, it's kind of, you can't really 
negotiate it if you're the Lakers or you can't they couldn't extend him now correct they would have to be in the offseason but he could extend with the Pacers currently um so yes uh so yeah so I I, the expectation would be that they would be keeping him for the long run but yeah I mean they're uh Darvin Ham has even mentioned it, which you rarely see a coach mentioning it, but he, he's mentioned the the repeater tax and, and some of the tax limitations uh, with, with this group. So I think for this season, it's a bit of a concern, but I think moving forward with with a clean slate, um, they're not as concerned. I mean, they, they could sign uh, Kyrie next summer. Like, I, I think that's, uh, the, you know, a, a realistic possibility uh, de- depending on kind of what, you know, how the rest of the season goes, but yeah, I mean, I, th- I think for them, th- they're trying to weigh also like how much long term salary because you can make a move like you know would they take on Evan Fournier from New York and and, and you know they they love Cam Reddish they they've been <laughs> wanting Cam Reddish why uh, for, for a while why? but like do you want to take on those multiple years of Evan Fournier like that that's a that's a legitimate question for them so I think that there, there's ways to upgrade the roster it's just again is that worth a first round pick if not potentially two and I I think. At this point, probably not with what what's out there, but it also depends how the deadline shakes out. I mean, those guys aren't even playing for the Knicks. Like, why, why would you have to give up anything besides a second? Well, whatever. All right, let, let's get out of here in a minute. Uh, before we do, we just want to quickly touch on the clips, especially now that the news came out literally five seconds ago of our recording that Devin Booker is out for a month with a groin strain. So, the you know the the Clips just passed the Suns in the standings. That's kind of neck and neck thing this year. What is the momentum right now for the Clippers law? The Clippers are such a nasty basketball team to watch this year. Like Good but, nasty or bad nasty? You know what? For the most part, it benefits the Clippers because they're so good defensively. They junk the game up. They are dedicated to taking your free throws away, taking your threes away. They, they, they make you play uncomfortable basketball. Uh, it's just uncomfortable to watch because their offense is so out of control that – they don't hang on the leads that they're supposed to, or they just simply, they, they only play good offense for the 10 minutes necessary to execute a comeback. Uh, but because they're playing so much better lately, and again, uh, Kawhi Leonard's return correlates with that, uh, they, they are in fourth. They are in shouting distance of the top three in the West. And that's a problem for for the West, considering that the Clippers they have rarely played a complete game. Again, Jared, when you were here in LA and you saw the Celtics game, I was shocked that that was that's the only game all year that the Clippers won each of the four quarters. The only game all year out of 36 and yet they are still showing that they have room for improvement. That the the fact that they're damn near a 60% win team and they still haven't quite clicked and they have this thing where the teams below them were just you know, I didn't have the nicest thing to say about the Mavericks as a team. They're six. The Suns are fifth, and they're missing two starters long term. Cameron Johnson being the other addition to the book. I mean, the Sacramento Kings are are slipping a bit, um, and they don't have the minus a bonus. Uh, he's dealing with a hand injury himself. Like the the Clippers aren't in a whole lot of danger of slipping. They have every opportunity to move up, and so this is a big evaluation time uh, because. As you know, they're super deep. That does not mean that the roster makes a whole lot of sense. So they're going to be looking pretty hard as January approaches, as we get through January, uh, at what they can do to optimize this roster for the postseason. Because I'm not totally convinced that the roster you see now is the roster that you see in the spring. Interesting. All right. We got to wrap it up here. That was Law Murray. Will Guillory is our Pelicans writer. Law Murray is our Clippers writer. Jovan Buha covers the Lakers for the Athletic. And big shouts to Tim Cato for coming on after he finished his recovery beer after what I'm sure was a long night at the, is it American Airlines Center or Arena? I forget which one it is in Dallas. I believe Center. Center. Okay. I mean, Cato's at the center of it all. We know that. Andrew Schlecht is our producer. Shout out to Shams for his verbal inside pass. And uh, this is it for Young Ones. This is it for 2022. This is the Athletic NBA Show. I'm Jared Weiss. We'll see you next time. Hey. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.